The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Hello, I'm Carrie Charles, your host of 5G Talent Talk, and I am so glad that you joined me today. And we are just going to jump right in. The global smart cities market is projected to reach 2.5 trillion by 2026. Now, there's many companies who's been organizing their efforts to really take advantage of this growth and all the business opportunities that come with this. Today, we're going to talk to one company who has built a nationwide turnkey smart community infrastructure firm. And I have with me the man at the helm of this vision, Chris McGuire, the CEO of Next Edge Networks. Chris, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Carrie. Appreciate it. So I always ask this to my guests, and I love to hear just how you got from where you were to where you are now, a little bit about the twists and the turns of your career path. Sure. Uh, it certainly hasn't been a, uh, a direct line to where I, where I am today. You know, I came out of college as an accounting and finance major, went directly to work for Ernst & Young in Washington, D.C. right out of school, determined really, really fast that accounting was not what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. So quickly transitioned out of that group to positions inside that did things like, you know, transactional advisory services, investment banking, M&A type roles. I ended up at a very young age participating in a few IPOs, raised a lot of capital, completed a lot of M&A transactions for a bunch of different companies. And I really found that I liked that strategy side of the business much more than the you know, kind of back office sitting in the, you sitting at a desk every day kind of world. And what I really liked about it, it was it really allowed me to see the entire organization and see how it all worked together, what was successful, what wasn't, and how organizations were built and developed. I got into telecom where I am today in, in, in a really, really strange way. And, and I guess timing and a little luck or everything, as they say. I spent time in radio and television in the early 1990s prior to getting into telecom. We merged our radio company with Steve Dodge's American Radio Systems. It created the second largest private, or I guess the second largest radio company in the country. In about mm -hmm. mid-1990s, we were selling ARS to CBS. And we were starting to receive a lot of really strange phone calls from companies like Macaw Cellular, Bell Atlantic, 9X Mobile, to see if they could rent tower space on our broadcast towers. And we didn't really know, know for what. And you know, Steve, being the guy he was, had a lot of vision, had a lot of uh, questions, did a lot of research, and came to the conclusion that wireless was going to be the next big thing. So prior to selling the stations, all the towers got put into a subsidiary called American Radio Systems, was kept separate from the radio transaction, and was really the launch of what's now American Tower Corporation. Came out of nowhere and, you know, a whole bunch of acquisitions mm -hmm. and a bunch of mergers later, and we've all seen what that company's become. And it's really, it was really impressive to see how that, that group really developed. Since American Tower, I've done a lot of, you know, things in and around telecom, some smaller tower companies, mostly on the infrastructure side gone back into broadcasting here and there. And I've also done some things in renewables, which are actually very similar to the tower business with some kind of more com complicated financial pieces to it, but a lot of similarities. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Well, I know you were on the finance 
side of broadcasting, but you really do have the voice for it too, just in case you want to have another career in your future, okay? Yeah, it doesn't pay as well as it used to. So true, so true. So tell me about the story behind Next Edge Networks. You know, how was it born? What's the structure and the companies that are underneath your umbrella? Sure. Well, Next Edge today looks very different from what its original intended purpose was. You know, coming from the infrastructure side of the world, I was working with some private investors to, to figure out a place and a niche in the, in the telecom world that we could invest in. We were used to recurring revenue tower type like businesses. We spent a lot of time interviewing a lot of large real estate owners at the time who were constantly talking about the lack of coverage in their buildings, the fact that all the lead, you know, lead certified stuff was blocking signals getting into the buildings, they were losing tenants, and it was becoming a big problem for them. So we started looking into that business. You know, I guess timing is everything and our timing wasn't great because right about the time we were doing that was when the carriers decided that you know, they weren't going to pay for building access anymore. You know, in the big venues, the football stadiums and stuff, they would, but, you know, your 250,000 square foot commercial office space, they just, they just weren't going to do it anymore. It was just too expensive. The landlords had a problem, but they didn't want to pay for it either. So we found ourselves being in a, in a business that, you know, had a need. There was a solution. There was just nobody that wanted to pay for it. It seems like that industry is still a little, a little lumpy right now. There's people that are doing really well in it. We couldn't figure out a way to do really well in it. So we quickly had to pivot. And given all the trends around wireless that we'd seen, the projected CapEx spends that were coming from the various customers in this business, we knew there was a great opportunity in telecom and we wanted to kind of hover around it. Infrastructure, the infrastructure pricing was really, really high, still is. So we focused on the services sector. And, and it sounds like a real paradigm shift for what we were trying to do, but it's actually really natural. Historically, all of our infrastructure businesses started out as services companies. We've always viewed services businesses as kind of the uh, business development and information access arm of the telecom world. You know, they know what's going on early when networks are being developed. They know what directions, they know what markets people are working in. So we went out and acquired a, a really small group of recurring revenue contracts from a data center company called Edge Connects that kind of launched our business back in 2016. The, the revenue and cash flows from those contracts allowed us to kind of seed the business and go out and keep trying to grow the world. You know, about early to mid-2017, we found a, uh, a business in San Francisco. Uh, it was a small cell services business called Modus. Knew some of the principals there. They were looking to grow. They had a great demand on their product. They needed capital and they needed some more management horsepower to, to help them you know, harness all that growth. So we acquired them in, two, in June 2017 and spent the next three years building that business organically, growing into new markets, working with new customers. And after growing that, you know, we, we came to a conclusion that we needed to do some things to diversify the business. So it, just about nine months ago, in the middle of 2021, we also merged in two companies, a company called Spectrum Services in Las Vegas, and then a, a business called Tachyon out of Atlanta, which had four operating companies under it that you know all came under the Next Edge umbrella. All these transactions allowed us to diversify our business geographically from a customer standpoint, as well as from a services offering standpoint. So we now sort of have a full suite of services coast to coast. You know, so, you know, as we sit here today, we're, you know, six operating companies strong under the Next Edge umbrella. We've doubled our size in the last 12 months from a revenue as well as a human capital standpoint. We've got 600 people in-house right now doing this okay. work. 
with the ability to deliver the end-to-end services that we wanted from coast to coast. Wow, that's amazing growth. So let, let me, I actually wrote down the companies that are a part of NextEdge and Summit Cellular, Tower Source, Source Broadband, NIS, Spectrum Services, and last but not least, Modus, the Correct. first one. So Correct. the legacy. Okay, good. I got it right. All right. I'll say it again later for those of you who may have missed it. No, this is, that's absolutely fantastic, Chris. And what a story. What a story. Yeah. So you. out of these six companies, what role does each have? And I know you talked just a little bit about Modus and maybe one other, but but just briefly, what role does each have in the 5G ecosystem? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess before we talk about 5G, it's probably important to note that each of these companies has been around for probably about 20 years or so. So they've done 1G, they've done 2G, they've done 3G, they've done 4G. And, you know, now we have our, our place in the 5G network. The The only reason they really exist in this 5G world is because they've demonstrated their ability to execute and meet their customers' needs in those previous network buildouts. As a whole, we can participate in just every piece of the 5G ecosystem. We have what we call managed services, which are really the upfront work, the site selection, the design, the A&E, uh, site acquisition, zoning, permitting, all that kind of stuff. And then we've got the ability to do you know, back-end work, so construction, installation, modifications, integration, optimization, maintenance. And we can do it for small cells. We can do it for macros, DAS, rooftops, greenfield towers, you name it. And we have these capabilities in all the geographies we work, which is you know East Coast to West Coast. And we also have source broadband, the ability to do aerial and underground fiber construction and splicing, although that skill set isn't a national skill set right now. It's really focused in the Southeast. The six operating companies we have, we'll start it on the East. NIS, which is Network Installation Specialists and Summit Cellular, are similar companies in terms of the service offerings. They're primarily back-end service companies. They can do macro, small cell, construction installation, the integration and optimization, as well as participating in emergency services, response and things like that. And those guys are focused in the Southeast. They, you know, they perform in different geographies, but they're at least in that same region. Tower Source is a front-end managed services business. So they handle all the site ag zoning, A&E, things like that in the Southeast. Source Broadband, as I mentioned, does the fiber construction and mostly in the Tennessee market right now. And then Spectrum Services and Modus in the West, which is really Texas West, are more fully integrated businesses. They do both the managed services as well as the backend work covering, you know, Modus's geography is more West Coast, whereas Spectrum Services is more the desert Southwest. Gosh, is there anything you don't do? <laughs> well, there's a lot of things we don't do, but we've, we've, we'll look at. We'd like to do well, some of them. Right. I know that we'll talk about that a little bit later. I'm sure that yeah. there's a lot of things you'd like to do, but you don't have enough people, right? And that's yeah. what... People what everybody's are. dealing with right now. So let me ask you this. Is there any commonality between the companies, let's say shared values or similar cultures? Yeah. And that was a really big component of this. I mean, we didn't just go out to kind of, you know, roll up a bunch of people and see what happens. It was really about finding the right fit. You know, we wanted to diversify our businesses. We would have preferred to do it organically, or at least that's what we thought. Bringing Spectrum and, and Tachyon companies in-house uh, was actually a natural fit for us. We talked to a lot of people, and every time we decided that we things just weren't going to work out, it was all about the people and the culture side of it. So these businesses fit what we were all trying to do, and, and quite frankly, we fit what they were trying to do in their process as well. In terms of similar characteristics, 
almost almost every one of these businesses is still run by their founders. And these founders still are going forward, have a meaningful investment in these businesses and the future of their companies. They've all been around for a long time. They've 20 plus year, 10 years in this industry with really, really sterling reputations. You don't find that everywhere. There's a lot of people in and out of this business. Uh, these guys have been here forever and you're only here if you perform. But more importantly, there's a couple of cultural things. They were all hyper-focused on quality and delivering for their customers. We heard that time and time again when we talked to these companies. They're highly competitive. They've got a huge desire to win and that's from the top to the bottom. They're very creative. And, and when I say creative, I really mean that they focus on solutions. They're not there to do a job. They're there to figure things out. You know, one, one of the commonalities with these, with these companies is in almost every one of these jurisdictions, they get assigned the hardest work, which I think is you know, testament to what people, what the carrier community thinks of them. And then, you know, mm. the other part was they each had, you know, a principled culture. They were desired to be a place that attracts the best people. They sort of brought people in and trained people the way we think about it. We have a, a huge preference for bringing new people into this industry versus trying to find seasoned people. We find that mm. works much better for us. So those are really the common characteristics, I think. Smart, smart. So I know there's challenges with a roll-up strategy. And you know, you've done some things really well here. So what are some of those things that you say, okay, this worked and this is like a rinse and repeat? That's a good question. You know, roll-ups are risky. I don't think we ever went out there thinking we were gonna do roll-up, but these roll-ups actually in our in our mind as we were looking at it, de-risked our business. They helped us diversify really quickly. When it was just modus, we spent, you know, like I said, three or so years growing the business organically. And we, we were doing really, really well. But as that process was moving along, it became really apparent to us that we were really relying on one geography, really relying on one or two customers, and really relying on doing one or two things really well. So we set off to kind of diversify the business geographically, customer base, and service offerings. It just so happened with that these two transactions happened at the same time. But they both supported that same end game, that diversification piece. Through the transactions, we were able to speed up our diversification plan, we think by two to maybe three years. So we've got that behind us. And now we kind of transition into the operational mode. But probably most importantly, you know, it aligned us with companies that had similar drives, values, cultures, and people. And, you know, now we have a really diverse business, covers coast to coast. We can do end to end services for just about every major player in the wireless and wireline business. You know, we always kind of say national footprint, local delivery. But I think what we've done really well was kind of stay out of the way. The integration of businesses is really, really hard. We focused on integrating the back office and the support functions really out of the gate and less service delivery and customer relations and all that kind of stuff alone. It allowed our operating companies to not focus on, oh, we got new owners and all this kind of stuff and really just keep doing what they do. And, you know, to all their credits, they did a great job. I think if you ask them today, how big of a headache was this? They probably said they didn't really notice a whole heck of a lot. And you know, I consider that a really big success. The other thing I think that we did really well in this process was to identify what we're good at and think of other ways we can do it and other places we can do it. So we've always sort of distilled our business down to anything that requires space, power, connectivity, we can probably do. Doesn't need to be wireless, doesn't need to be wireline. It could be renewables. You know, there's it's permitting, it's construction, it's things like that. So we've looked outside the industry to continue to diversify our business. And, you know, our, our recent ventures into EV charging are a direct result of that. Very similar skill sets, 
very similar markets that we're working in have great need for that. And it was just a great way to transition the business into those lines. And, you know, at the same time, give our people some opportunities that they might not have thought they'd ever have. So, you know, the next phase of that is we see down the line that the IoT technology, smart city type stuff is, is going to be a big market. The spend's not there yet, but that's a skill set that we transition into almost seamlessly. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. So I know that Next Edge and, you know, the, the six companies builds connected communities. And that's something that, you know, that is part of your vision. So define a connected community in, from your perspective. And then also what needs to happen to make a connected community really thrive and make it work? Sure. You know, connected community, we use that internally. I don't know if anybody else in the industry uses that, but you know, that, that's kind of our way. I of like it. I like things. it. You know why I like it? Because it, it's my initials. So oh, there, you see, there you I go. think it's perfect. Okay. Oh, <laughs> there you go. So, you know, the world right now runs on connectivity and innovation. Every time a new technology comes around that improves something or improves our lives, you know, we, we expect it to have better access and higher performance and bigger breakthroughs. We're never kind of satisfied. So when we talk about smart cities and communities as being sort of far off ideas or possibilities, I think if you look around, they're actually already here and we're, we're kind of living in it, but they're getting smarter and better and faster all the time. And that's a good thing. I mean, that's what we do. We get involved in that kind of stuff. You know, we, we think the communities are better when they are connected, but it's not easy. I mean, it's, it's not an easy task to ha- make all this stuff happen. You know, connected communities to us means having comprehensive 5G, high-speed fiber, smart water and light systems, readily available EV charging, autonomous public transport, and all, you know, a whole bunch of other things. But the challenge is not really a matter of the technologies themselves, but instead of deploying those technologies and the infrastructure that supports them. And you know, we call that intelligent infrastructure. Building out these networks means connecting a whole bunch of data points. And it, you know, those data points then enable modern life, commerce, mobility, all the good stuff we like. But while that's happening, you know, all at the same time, you know, we've got to serve the needs and the demands of the people that live in those communities in the jurisdictions we have to work in that have a whole bunch of rules and, and preferences for how this stuff happens. So we view that work as being really complex, requires a pretty robust skill set, a lot of experience, a lot of local knowledge and experience, and you know ingenuity to complete. So you know at, at its heart, Next Edge you know builds these turnkey solutions for this intelligent infrastructure that enables these connected communities everywhere. We know that the you know, the continued evolution and integration of all these technologies requires these networks to continually advance and be modified and be added onto. And that's why we partner with the network operators and the OEMs and the cable providers, the infrastructure companies, EV manufacturers, uh, utilities, to ensure that everybody does keep progressing. We fill a unique niche between all those constituents as well as the communities. You know, the fiber, the towers, antennas, sensors, the chargers that we deploy aren't just pieces of hardware. You know, we view them as the essential foundations, you know, for people everywhere to thrive. Wow. Life-changing. You're changing lives. Yeah. You so are. We think. So we think. <laughs> Big vision. I love it. Yes. I want to talk a little bit more about the electric vehicle charging stations. And I know that MODIS, which is a next edge company, that they build these EV charging stations. So there's this mad rush to get millions of electric vehicles on the road. And in fact, I have three <laughs> in my family and I just got one for myself. So, and I absolutely love it. But I'm just curious, what are some hurdles that are standing in the way 
of that continued EV adoption. Yeah, I have an electric vehicle too, so I don't just don't just say it. I actually do it. You know, the EV market's really hot right now. There's a lot of you know numerous unaffiliated companies touting massive national, even international build. So it's a good place to be. Given all that, even with all the infrastructure funds that are coming down the road, you know, there still seems to be a lot of things holding us back from true adoption or or accelerated adoption of EV. Yeah, it's funny, but I think some of these things are are simple and some of them are really expensive and hard. But range anxiety is probably the biggest one from from a usage standpoint. I read about that. I read about range anxiety and I have that, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Oh, no, there's no doubt. I've been driving from Northern California <laughs> down to LA in the middle of nowhere going, oh man, if this thing goes out, we got problems. But, right. you know, from people buying those cars, I think it's just, it's the mindset of, I'm concerned I'm going to run out of juice on my trip. And as tech gets better, I think you're going to find that ranges on these cars are going to increase. You know, right now people are getting maybe 300 miles yeah. a charge. And if you speed or use too much AC or heat or whatever, it starts cutting into your actual range. But I think as battery performance gets better, the ranges will increase. And you know, if you can get to a sort of a 500 mile charge range, I think you're going to see a lot more standardization of that product and a lot less of that range anxiety. I think that's probably the sweet spot. You know, as would making charging stations, you know, cheap sell for us, but as would, you know, making charging stations, you know, as prolific and convenient as the current gas station environment is, they really do need to be everywhere and you need to be able to charge quickly. You know, getting in and out in three to five minutes would be tremendous. And you really just shouldn't have to drive long distances to get a charge and wait 20 to 30 minutes to get an 80% charge if you're lucky. So I, I think, you know, proliferation of the, of the charging networks is absolute requirement. And that's also impacted by like the open system right now where some manufacturers have their own networks that are closed to the general public. I think that that direction seems to be changing and I think that'll be good for the industry as well. But I, I think those three things are, you know, are, are really impeding the ability to for full-scale adoption. Right, that makes sense. Let's switch gears a bit to talent, attraction and retention. I know that uh, you've been you know, in the industry a while, as well as in many, you know, other industries, and you've had to, you know, recruit your share of talent, as well as retain them. So is let's look at today, is your leadership utilizing any creative strategies, anything that's working for you to attract and retain talent in this landscape? You know, it's, it's, it's funny, I think you mentioned it earlier, but you know, as everybody who's been in this industry, even a week knows that there just aren't enough people to do the work that's on the table right now. There's a huge supply demand deficit when it comes to having human capital needed in this industry. If I shared a really secret sauce type stuff, my team would probably get really mad at me, but (laughs) what what, what I will say- Oh, come on, just one, just one. (laughs) what, what, What I will say, and I think I mentioned it earlier, is we continually try to add to the pool versus just moving the pool around to different businesses. I mean, we hire our share of people that are, are experienced, but you know, our ability to bring brand new people in from outside this industry, train them, expose them to different things, move them through the company, different departments, just so they can kind of get a broader view of the world has been our most, our most successful way of not only attracting talent, but actually keeping the talent. We've brought a lot of people in who had no idea what they were doing. And next thing you know, they kind of, they go from intern to now they're you know running markets and things like that. So that's been really gratifying to see. But whether we're hiring kids right out of college, particularly on the urban planning side of the world, 
or even high school. We actually, you know, we do hire high school kids in a lot of these markets. We're bringing people in from trade schools, different trades. We think new and fresh ideas are key. So we do and focus a lot of our attentions on that. You know, it's no surprise where some of our regional offices are when we think, when we kind of sit back and think about it. They're all in and around some really great universities where we find really inquisitive, sort of whip smart people that we can pull in right out of school and try to teach them this business. And it's kind of funny that, you know, I don't want to get into ages and stuff like that, but the younger people that we find, we find they their values and views of the world align very well with what we're trying to do on the connected community side of the world and things like that. And, we're, you know, we routinely recruit from places like UC Berkeley, you know, Texas, Georgia Tech, just to name a few. Yeah, no, that's, that's very smart. In fact, I was going to comment on something that I think that business leaders, when, when we go to hire, we just immediately think, okay, what experience do we need? You know, what certifications do we need? What knowledge, what degrees do we need? And I think the better way to look at it right now is what transferable skills do we need? Because you don't always need the, all the experience that you think you need. You could actually bring someone in who has that, you know, that raw talent, that DNA that is, you know, that fits your culture, just like you said, and have a very solid training program for them. And then that you were, what you said was brilliant is it helps retention. And it's every, all of our clients and, you know, that we staff for, we watch that happen. And we see that many of the people that they retain the longest are people that they brought in from outside the industry or from transferable skills and invested in and poured into. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly our mindset. And and it's funny, you know, there are some companies in in this industry that are hyper-focused on this thing and they do a great job. I think they put enough pressure on some of the industry organizations to get involved. And and there seems to be some, you know, a groundswell of support for things, mentorship programs and things like that, that that I think are really good for this industry right now. Yes, absolutely. So you're an accomplished leader, Chris. What are your guiding principles of leadership? Yeah, it's funny. If you asked me that 10 years ago, it'd probably been really hard to answer. You know, for a large part of my career, I, I never really thought about leadership. It sounds kind of funny, but I never really did. I was either working alone on transactions or working in really small teams, just getting deals done. Then we'd move on to the next one and, you know, never really had to look back. I, I did have a former CEO who I really admired, and he was a leader who told me one day, he's like, look, transactions are easy. So the people in operations were the values created, so you better get good at it. And then when he told me that, I was like, yeah, whatever. I didn't really think about it. And then then I did start to think about it. He was absolutely right. So, you know, over the years, I found, you know, the kind of things I'm comfortable with. My team certainly don't hold back and, you know, they let me know what they need and what they want <laughs> and what doesn't doesn't work for them. But things that, you know, I, I really think about and believe are important just so happen to be a lot of what I saw in the people that I thought were really good at, what, at their jobs, you know, who I thought were really great leaders. You know, I think you need to be really self-aware. I think you need to know who you are and what you are before you can tell anybody else what you want from them. I think you got to believe. It sounds kind of, you know, sounds like a Christmas special, but you do. You, you got to believe. You got to believe in your vision. You got to believe in in yourself. You got to believe in others. And, and you can't fake it because as soon as you do, you lose all credibility. Things need to be really simple. You know, if you make things complex, things break. And probably more importantly, on the simplicity side, there's a lot of really complex stuff that we see in our business and it needs to be explained. You got to be able to explain it really in a sentence. If you can't, you're going to yeah. lose people. Their eyes are just going to gloss over. One of my fave 
favorite, you know, I'll mention him, you know, a second time, but Steve Dodgeisms was listen more than you talk. The one thing I heard that guy say, that's the one thing that stuck with me. So, you know, listen more than you talk, take risks. I think leaders have to take risks. But what I find the really good leaders, they take risks that are really measured, they're really analyzed, and they're really researched. You know, it's just not some, hey, we're going to go do this. You know, it's, it seems super risky, but it's actually really, really measured. I think leaders have to own their mistakes. They actually need to embrace failure. We've learned so many things by trying something that didn't work out. And then we take those lessons and we don't repeat them. But the failure and the mistakes and the ability to own that stuff is, I think, really important. You always got to be thinking about a couple of years from now, not today. So you're always focusing forward. You know, whatever happened in 2000, you know, if it, if it was bad, I hope we learned from it. If it was good, it's over. Let's keep going. And I found that, especially in our younger staff, our younger employees, they want to know that you're thinking about these things and they want to hear what you're thinking. They may not agree with it, but they at least want to know. And they want to know that it's not just, hey, we're, we're here doing this job today. And I think that kind of translates to another thing. I think leaders need to be transparent. You know, I think you do mm-hmm. need to communicate a lot and you need to be honest. You need to be factual. You need to be positive. And then the last one is, you know, the, the idea of embracing diversity and it's diversity on all levels, but, you know, diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, you know, diversity of how to solve problems. I think without diversity, we get really, really stagnant. And we've had some people come up with some ideas that were like, are you crazy? And then we all sat and we thought about it. Like, okay, let's, let's pursue this, you know? So I, I think that, you know, the, the status quo is, you know, no longer, you know, acceptable. The embracing the diversity is really, really important. The status quo is no longer acceptable. I love that you said that because it's a new world right now. And you recognize that everything you said was spot on and inspiring, empowering. And, you know, I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. So thanks for sharing that, Chris. You're welcome. So, What's on the horizon for 2022 for the companies under your umbrella? And also, what is your, I'd love to know your overall vision for Next Edge. I mean, are you looking for that next great company that you're going to acquire? I mean, what's that bigger vision too? Sure. 2022 hopefully is going to be kind of boring compared to 2021. (laughs) Uh, We had a lot lot going on. 2021 was really hectic. I think for a lot of our people, there's a lot of uncertainty when you go through these acquisitions and mergers and all this kind of stuff. You know, oftentimes that's enough to just break a business. You know, people get all worked up. They don't know what's going on. I think thankfully, and to our team's credit, they kept their heads down. They kept focused forward. And, you know, right now, I think you'd see very little impact or very few impacts across our organization from the transactions, which was great. As we get into 2022, it's it's really kind of you know, nothing sexy on the agenda. We're getting back to focusing on, you know, pure operations and organic growth again, you know, and that consists of, you know, a, a real focus and a dogged execution on our customers' plans, continuing to find and attract the best talent we can, completing all the integration that we still have to complete. So that's behind us. And then, you know, focusing on margins, cash flows, all that good stuff. So that's 2022. If something pops up, you know, we're certainly uh, certainly willing to look, but it's, you know, just a kind of a continued, you know, diversification of our business, growth into new markets, things like that. What do we want to be at the end of the day? You know, kind of going back to the connected community stuff, you know, we want to en- enable all the technologies that make our communities better. And what that will mean for our business long-term is, We'll, you know, we'll continue to get into new markets, we'll continue to serve new industries, and we'll continue to diversify our customer base. 
you know, if, there, if there's a big thing we'd like to do, you know, given my background and background of a lot of folks in our business is to, you know, maybe also participate on the infrastructure side of the business. We have the, the capital and we have the resources to participate in that side of the business. And we see some opportunities that we could potentially do that. So that would be the ultimate goal. Mm, I love it. I have no doubt you are going to accomplish every single one of those. So I, so. I, ha- I want to know what drives Chris McGuire? What is your passion? What is your why? And you know, what you wake up every morning and you say, oh, I just, I can't wait to do X because of X. Yeah, I, you know, kind of like before, I guess it's probably changed a lot over the years. You know, originally it was very sort of functional or goal-oriented. You know, I wanted to create value. I wanted to help some, you know, entrepreneur achieve something greater than he can do it on his own or she could do it on her own. You know, can we build a David that can beat a Goliath? You know, can we figure out this puzzle before anyone else? It's very competitive, you know, you know, how do we win? It was, it was kind of stuff that I always found fun. Um, that changed a few years ago and sort of driven by the pandemic and was really driven home by the pandemic, but kind of goes back to this connected communities things. You know, it really occurred to us that what we do really does matter. We're not just out there building towers or doing anything. You got to look beyond that asset to what it does and what it provides. And whether it was helping to accelerate EV adoption by building charging stations or you know, building fiber to homes so families can do remote learning and video calling with their families to stay in touch, you know, to building remote cell sites that take, you know, accident traffic if there's an emergency in the middle of nowhere. You know, all those things matter and are the building blocks of these connected communities we always talk about. So that's kind of the feel good part of why why we do what we do and why I do what, what I do. From a personal standpoint, I'm just really curious. I'm always wanting to know what's next. And, you know, this industry with all the technologies and the evolution of these technologies satisfies that need greatly. Technology continues to evolve and influence our lives in some pretty dramatic ways. I like seeing early what's coming. Right. And I like to try to predict what's the next big thing and whether I'm right or wrong, you know, who knows, but it's never dull. Well, curiosity is a sign of genius. So you're on the right track yeah, there. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell my wife you said that. Absolutely, you should. So where can we go to learn more about NextEdge? And also, I want to list the companies that are part of NextEdge one more time. Summit Cellular, Tower Source, Source Broadband, NIS, which stands for what again? Network Installation Specialists. There you go. And then Spectrum Services and Modus. So right. where can we go to learn more about NextEdge? And I know on your website, I saw that you list just everything and all the companies. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's the best place to go. www.nextedgenetworks.com. On there, there will be links to all the various Opco websites. So you can see the details of what they do and who their management teams are and all that good stuff. That's the easiest way. Beautiful. Well, this has been a pleasure, Chris, really. And thank you for your authenticity and transparency. And it's just been a wonderful conversation. So thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time. 